know the Lord is calling us this year to dwell. Based on Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will remain secure and rest in the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no enemy can withstand. We know the three key aspects of this um, are to pray, to praise, and to proclaim. Living a consistent lifestyle where we do these three things. Uh, we've talked a little bit about prayer and praising and we talked all kinds about offense that tries to draw us out from dwelling in the Lord. Uh, but this week we're going to be shifting our focus on the third part of this, proclaiming, proclaiming. Now when we typically think of proclaiming something, we think of vocally shouting it out, right? Which it is. That is one way to proclaim um, something. However, there's far more to proclaiming than just our talk. Now, trust me, we all still need to learn to open our mouths a little more and to let God's word out of it, right? Um, maybe that's just me. Maybe I, I'm the only one that grumbles and complains too much in life. Am I the only one? Negative Nancy. Yeah, um, yeah, we all argue with that from time to time. Need to start speaking out what God says about the situations, you know? Um, I like to think about it like the Psalms. Like, that's, that's sort of my transition period of growing and maturing. I start out like David, like, wah, 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 everything's awful. Everyone's out to get me, and life sucks, you know? But then he ends with, but yet I'll praise the Lord, because he's not finished yet. I'm going to put my hope in him and what he has to say. Learn to do that, and then eventually in life, all you'll ever be doing is praising, you know? You just instantly get there. So it's okay. If you're like me and you're still growing and maturing and transitioning in this, you can let all the lamenting and complaints out, but don't end there. Keep on going. Get yourself through the bad stuff and then start speaking what God has planned and prepared to do, okay? So, we read these awesome scriptures. I'm going to be covering a lot of different translations today because it's just fun to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. In the New Living Translation, it says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. The message version, God's way is not a matter of mere talk. It's an empowered life. New Century Version, the kingdom of God is present, not in talk but in power. And then, of course, our new favorite, everybody, right? The, pa the Passion Translation. For the kingdom realm of God comes with power, not simply impressive words. So you see, the kingdom of God is not just about talk. Talk, 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 talk. But what are we doing? You're sitting there listening to me gab away, you know, for, it's going to be a short message this week, but it's punchy, okay? And God kind of gave me the, I, I've, to be honest, I've never boxed a day in my life. I, mean, I got into scraps in the backyard, but I don't, I've never been trained in boxing, you know. But I, I figured there's, there's two different, well, three different ways you can respond when a punch is coming your way. If you can, you avoid it, right? It's the easiest way to handle a punch is to avoid it. Well, God doesn't want you to avoid his punch. It's coming your way, okay? Or it can get you right between the eyes and you don't see it coming and you kind of move into it. That's the worst way absolute worst way to handle a punch or you can kind of go with it you see that jab coming and so you kind of move with it and take it right you kind of absorb it that's what God wants you to do just go with it today okay it's gonna hurt a little bit it's not gonna feel good but if you go with it and you cooperate with him it's gonna accomplish something good okay so if this is true 
the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, then why is Christianity so much about talk? I mean, there's, you know, there's sermons and messages and teachings, and we go to conferences to hear people speak. You've got books galore. I mean, the whole, your whole faith is based on a book, the Bible. Actually, it's not even a book. It's a, our compilation is 66 books put into one big chunkin' book, right? You know, you got books, 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 words, 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 words. Um, you know, you, you listen to podcasts, and then, then we, we create these songs with the lyrics of words that, that talk, 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 talk about God's kingdom. And I could go on and on and on. If this is true, that God's kingdom is not just a lot of talk, but about God's power, well, here is the paradox, because both are actually true. It's not just about talk. It's not just about his word. It is about the word and the power that it brings. There's a lot of talk from God's word because it's his word. It's not some ancient written text alone, though. God's word is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword or double-edged mouth. That's a cool way of looking. I'm going to, yeah, I like that. There's power in the word of God. That's why we take so much time to study it and to know it and to teach it and to preach it. And we take so much time to listen to it because we know there is actually power in his word. Not just a bunch of ancient texts that were written thousands of years ago. There is power found within it. Life-transforming power. It's not about just reading and meditating and being able to memorize and quote words from this old book. It's about the Holy Spirit who actually authored it, bringing it back to life inside of us through our own lives. The kingdom of God is not about talk. It's about those words being empowered and coming alive once again. See, we make God our dwelling place by proclaiming God's word but not just with our mouths, but also with our lives. Proclaiming God's word with our lives. You know, there's the old saying that says actions speak louder than words, right? And it is true. It's true. It's absolutely true. Our lives are like banners or living billboards that reveal God's kingdom to those around us. People, they will hear what we say, but they'll believe what you live. And actually, you'll find that word live right in the word believe, right? People, they'll hear what you say, but they'll believe what you live, what your life is actually proclaiming. John wrote about Jesus, and he said this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that's really weird and flaky, but, you know, I couldn't think of a better way of kind of showing the, the Word taking on flesh. When Jesus, oh, so we know this truth, Jesus was the living word of God. When you looked at Jesus, you were seeing the word of God in the flesh, living, breathing, speaking, oh, just everything he did was the word. It was based on the word. It was the word. We know that he was there in the beginning when the word was spoken. Then, cool thing happens of course we we call it easter but we know it's the resurrection sunday you know that's what we're celebrating the resurrection of jesus christ when he rose again from the grave and then he poured out the holy spirit into the lives of all believers his intent was on the day of pentecost and still is today that that same miracle would occur that the word would become flesh 
and dwell among mankind, among people, among us. That same miracle that took place that we celebrate on Christmas Day, the Word became flesh. God wants that same miracle to take place in you and I, that the Word would become flesh and dwell among people. So cool to think about. So if we somehow get the impression that God only cares that we read and study and memorize his word and that the, the entrance into heaven is some pop quiz that you're either going to get it right or you're going to fail it, you know, then you've totally missed the point. Yes, those things are important. They are. It's important to know the word. It's important to know the Bible. However, it's not really how much of the word that you know but how much of the word that you live? Of course, we know this from James 1, right? James 1. James 1 teaches us not to merely listen to the word and to so deceive ourselves, but to do what it says. Man, this is like religion in a nutshell. You can know the word and still be deceived. In fact, Jesus said many are going to say on that day, Lord, Lord, we knew we did this in your name and that in your name, and we did, 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 and we're, you know, and we knew, 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 but he's like, you didn't know me. You knew, you, you can know this and not know the author of it. You can know this and not know personally, intimately, the one that it talks about. You know, I, I can read all kinds of things about Joe Biden, but I don't know him, and I don't know if I want to know him, but, you know, if I walk up to him on the street, he's going to be, well, actually, he may. I, that, that's a bad example, man. I just talk about a bad example, you know. He'll probably be, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> All right, switching back to the word. The, the Amplified says it this way. Prove yourselves, doers of the word, actively, continually obeying God's precepts. Love the Amplified Version. Do not merely be listeners who hear the word, but then fail to internalize it. Deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning that is contrary to the truth. Prove yourselves doers of the word by actively and continually obeying it, doing it, living it. Let the word become alive. Let it take on flesh again in your life there's a radical difference and it's so hard to discern it but there's a difference between reading this as if though it's a self-help book and then trying to do what it says because you're going to fail every time when you try to do this on your own there's a difference between that and putting this word in you so that it becomes you there's a radical difference you still end up doing it but you do it with a different heart motive and you don't do it on your own power. You do it by the empowerment of the one who wrote it, the Holy Spirit. Huge difference. Because if God's word is not accompanied by empowerment, then it's useless. It's good for nothing. If it's truly God's word, then it will be accompanied by power, which is revealed through action. Revealed through action. In fact, the angel reminded Mary regarding the virgin, vir, uh, virgin birth of Jesus this, right? Sorry. That no word from God will ever fail. That's in the NIV. In the New King James Version, it says, For with God nothing will be impossible. 
In the Passion Translation, it says that not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. No word from God will ever fail. Now, this phrase that's so different in each of the English translations, it, it's comprised of three he, uh, Greek words that are insanely punchy. The simple phrase has far more meaning than we realize it in our English translations. Our simple translated words into no word or not one promise or nothing consist of the three Greek words, o, pas, and rhema. O is an absolute negative, meaning no, never, nothing, ever, 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 never, not a single thing. Like it's an absolute negative. No, never. Pas, it's, it's, it's actually not the, the, the coloring that you use for your eggs here in this season. You know, pas, at least that's what I used growing up anyways. Pas it's an inclusive collection, meaning every single thing and every single one ever. Like, talk about a paradox. Nothing of any kind ever, 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 and then everything ever, every single thing. You put those two together, like, ah! Like, it just makes, if you're into literature languages, it just makes you want to pull your hair out. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. How can you put those two together? Nothing ever and everything always. And then rhema, of course, most of us are familiar with that. It's, it's, it's a spoken word. It's, it's a living voice. Rhema, in this case, it's literally God's presently spoken word. It's what he's speaking. And it's so cool. To, and so when you put all that together, it's every single word that God ever speaks will never, ever, in any possible case, ever fail. You know, it's, it's all inclusive. What God says, and here's, here's another way of looking at it. What God speaks, God's very word, it by itself contains everything that is necessary to accomplish itself. It's a really cool way of thinking about it and looking at it. God's word is self-contained. It contains everything that it could ever need to come to pass itself. Think about it like a seed. Um, you know, we have gardening season coming up you may have already started your gardening season i know my my easter lilies think that it's spring already you know they're already halfway sprung but think about it that way everything that that seed needs to not only become a plant and to grow and to bear fruit but then it's going to bear many seeds that also each individually contain everything they need to become a full plant you know it's crazy think about it. you look at those teeny tiny little seeds and to think that they can become this giant mighty oak tree you know but it does that tiny little seed contains everything it needs it's so cool to think about that's god's word god's word is powerful it can do everything that it says it's going to do on its own all by itself just as God simply spoke and all creation came to be. God's word self-contains everything it needs to fulfill itself. Um, in fact, Jesus made this very analogy here in Mark chapter 4. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seeds on the ground day and night. Doesn't matter whether he sleeps, whether he gets up. The seed sprouts and it grows. Though he doesn't, he doesn't know how. <laughs> 
Isn't that so cool? You don't need to understand God's word for God's word to work. I'm so glad that is the case. You don't have to understand it. You just got to believe it. <laughs> you just got to believe it. God said it. No idea how this is going to happen, how this is going to come to pass. But I'm going to believe it. I'm going to stand on it, you know, regardless of what might stand in its way. Jesus said, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, farmer puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The farmer has a very easy job in this case. It doesn't matter whether he sleeps all day or he's up all night or vice versa or whatever. As soon as he plants it, that's it. It does its thing. In fact, we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that God makes it grow. You know, all he has to do is plant it and then harvest it. That's all we got to do. Plant the word of God and wait for the harvest. Wait for it to come to pass. Of course, you know, it's slightly more complicated than that, but yet it's really not. There's nothing you can do to make it grow. We don't have to do anything to make a seed grow, but just scatter it in good soil. We have the easy part, and it's no different with God's word. Proclaiming God's word is just like scattering and planting the seed. You often hear evangelism referred to this way. All you can do is plant the seed. Tell them the gospel, right? Use words if you have to. Be that billboard. Proclaim the word of God. That's all you can do. And then people either receive or reject it. Jesus said it this way. He gave us a parable of the sower in Luke 8, Matthew 13, and Mark 4. All of those contain the parable of the sower where Jesus said that... Um, not only is God's word able to completely able to fulfill itself, but the key is we have to decide what kind of soil we're going to be. We want to be good soil. So when God's word falls into our lives, it grows and bears fruit a hundredfold. Will our lives proclaim God's truth to scatter seed around where it can become effective? Think about it this way. When we go around telling people all about what an apple tree looks like, just describe it to people, you know? Or will you become the apple tree so they see it and they know it without ever even saying a word, right? People will know a certainty because they can just look at your life and see it. Will, will we describe to people what an apple is and what it tastes like? Or can they just reach out and take one from your life and taste it for themselves? Do we bring people into an encounter with the one true living God, or do we speak ancient words and text and tell them about him? Which is more effective? Which will people believe? Will they believe words that you give? No, because they'll Google it and figure out things for themselves. People don't care about knowledge anymore. They do not value it. Knowledge is accessible through this. Anything I ever want to know, all I got to do is look it up. People don't care about knowledge anymore, but you know what they care about and what they notice? They notice when you are something that they're not. They take notice in that. They take notice. You know, think about it. Will we tell people about Jesus and how, oh, he is so good and he is the prince of peace? Or will they care when you are a peacemaker and you bring peace into their lives? When they walk into your home and you're like, man, you guys aren't screaming at each other, you know? There's peace in this house. Will they care about that? Or will they care about you in the middle of all your chaos being like, oh yeah, Jesus is so good. He, he gives peace. <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, he, you know, are they going to believe what you say or believe what you live? Are we going to tell them that 
that, that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Are we going to tell them about that? Or are we going to show them that and not treat them as their sins deserve? Be the grace and mercy and loving kindness toward them. Because that's not the way the world treats them. They get treated the way their sin deserves. Think about it. Think about it. This is the difference between religious, being religious, and having a relationship with God. You, I, I know you've heard this idea and concept, but I still don't think we really get it. We can be like the Pharisees that stood face to face with the living word of God. Now they knew the word of God, right? They knew it. They had it memorized, but when it stood in front of them in the flesh, they called it a demon. They called it a glutton. They called it a drunkard. They called it everything but what it was, the living word of God. They knew it, but they didn't know him. They rejected him, they slaughtered him, they killed him, you know, saying he was a liar, and yet he was the living word of God. You see, religion studies and gains knowledge about God and, and can talk all about him, but it's all based on the logos, the written word of God. The Logos, the written word of God. Now, our relationship does the same thing. We value the Logos. Oh, we, we love the Logos. We study it. We, you know, we do all the same things. However, we also have the spirit of the living God within us. The same one that inspired Moses to write and to walk through the Red Sea. And the same one who, who inspired David to write these psalms. That same author is right here in you. And that same spirit that authored it can bring it to life once again in and through your life. We also hear the rhema through the logo sometimes and sometimes not. Sometimes God just speaks to us. But he brings these words back to life once again. Once again, the word becomes flesh. The word becomes flesh when we allow it to. A relationship with God causes God's word to transform our lives so that God's word lives once again in and through us. We become like Jesus as he transforms us into his image, according to Romans chapter 8, using his word. A relationship with God empowers us, equips us, and encourages us. You don't have to force yourself to do it. You want to do it. It's a transformation from the inside out, not the outside in. Which is what religion tries to do. It tries to cookie cutter you. To make you look, act, in whatever a certain way. <sighs> a relationship with God empowers us to live out his words, not on our own ability, but rather those words transform us. Colossians chapter 3 tells us this. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why, why, why do you still act like you belong to it? Why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, right? Don't touch, don't taste. These rules, they have to do with things that are destined to perish. And they are based merely on human commands and teachings. These regulations, they indeed have the appearance of wisdom. This, this was an actual card too, by the way, from the National Temperance Society um, in New York back when, when you know, um, 
what's it called, the, the prohibition period, you know, you, you agreed that you weren't going to do that, you're going to abstain by touching, tasting, and handling alcohol, you know, and here we are, we want living wine, we want that living water, we want new wineskins, these regulations, they have the appearance of wisdom, they have the appearance of worship, but they're based on false humility, they're based on harsh treatment of the body, man, I, I hate when Christians beat themselves up. There's freedom in Christ. Why do we beat ourselves up so much? They lack any value, any power in actually restraining the indulgence. See, that's what religion does. It gives you these rules and then, good luck, you're on your own trying to live them out. But a relationship with God, God says, this ain't good for you. Let me help you to abstain from it. It's, it's the same thing, but backwards. It's a change from the inside out. He changes our desires. He gives us power to overcome fleshy indulgences. Doesn't just tell you not to do it. He gives you the power. And he changes your desires from the inside out so that you don't even want them anymore. He changes your desires so that you desire good things that bring life and life abundance. It may look the same on the outside. However, inside of a life, they are as different from one another as they could be. And of course, what eventually reveals the root, the root source of the change, is the fruit. People will eventually see the fruits that are produced in a life. Religion. Religion can only produce one fruit. And it's the fruit of the flesh. Eventually, you will see these fruits produced. Now, we briefly touched on this stuff last week, but, but we got to touch on it this week, you know? Relationship produces the fruits of the Spirit because you have the Spirit. Religion produces the fruits of the flesh. Jesus taught how we can rightly judge who are simply religious talkers and who are genuine disciples. Matthew chapter 7. He says in verse, 10, verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They say they love Jesus. They're a believer. They can quote the word. They know the word. Didn't Satan also know it in Matthew 4? They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And by your fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus said to people, pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do you think Jesus wants us to judge people? <laughs> yes, make a right judgment, though, by the fruit of their lives. What are the fruits that are produced by religion? They're covered in Galatians 5. Discord dissensions, division, hate, manipulation, and selfish ambition. You will see those in a religious person's life. They, they can't help but produce it because they're not operating under the spirit. They're operating under the flesh. And they may be deceived and not even realize that's how they're operating. These are all internal heart issues that can easily be disguised by good works. You can easily disguise these fruits of the flesh in, in, in things that look and appear good. You can even quote the word to defend yourself for having these fruits. The other fruits of the flesh, the ones that are more obvious and not internal heart issues, 
They happen too, but you know what religious people are good at? Making sure it only happens behind closed doors so that nobody sees the discord in your house, sexual immorality, drunkenness, fits of rage. Those are fruits of the flesh, according to Galatians 5. And it's really interesting how religious people have it down, and they can, you know, be screaming at the kids in the car one moment, and, oh, hey, how's it going, sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so? God bless you. We're all guilty of it from time to time, right? <laughs> but we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be acting in our flesh. We should be living by the Spirit. The fruits that are produced by the relationship with God instead of religion, well, they're also covered in Galatians 5, and we all know them, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's right, gentleness and self-control. These are good fruits of the Spirit, and everybody desperately wants and needs them in their life. We all want to be loved and accepted. We all want to have joy and not misery. We all want to have peace and not chaos. We, we want to be self-controlled so that we get to live our lives and not have other things live our lives for us. We want all these things. But Jesus taught that we can only get those fruits by the Holy Spirit, by dying and letting him raise you up to a new life. He's the only one that can do it, the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus also taught us that it is by the fruits that we will be able to judge the root motives of other peoples by. Whether they are simply religious or whether they have an authentic relationship with Christ. People around us will eventually come to ask us where these spiritual fruits came from and how they can also receive them, right? Discipleship. It's a process of multiplication, not addition. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. Through multiplication. Just as a single, single seed. A single seed does not produce a single plant that produces fruit that has a single seed in it, does it? That would be addition. That is not how a seed operates and that's not how a disciple operates. It's multiplication. Rather, a single seed has the potential to produce countless trees, countless plants, countless fruit, countless seeds from now until Jesus returns to destroy it all. That is the power within that single seed. And that is the power that is contained within the word of God. The question is, what disciples are we making? When we really look at our lives, what disciples are we making? Because you're going to make one or the other. We're going to make one or the other. Proclaiming God's word through our lives happens through our actions. James challenges, challenged us about this as well. Not just talking the talk. Not just knowing the word and quoting the word and telling other people how they ought to live it. But by actually living it. Becoming the living, breathing word of God. Deeds are seeds. Deeds are seeds. And they proclaim God's word without even using words. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 18. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith even save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, 
speaking in faith that God is able to do it for them, but then they do nothing for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, but I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. That's our proclamation. I will show you my faith by my deeds. Look at here. This is what a Christian looks like and acts like. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He also said, I can't get it right. Whenever I want to do good, I do bad. Whenever I want to do, you know, he, he was a mess just like we are. But yet his life still pointed people to the power of Jesus because it wasn't him. It wasn't him making right choices and living the right way. It was the Holy Spirit empowering him. And that's what our deeds show. Deeds are seeds. They make a proclamation about who God is, about what his kingdom is like. So it's time once and for all this morning. It's time here and now for the word to become flesh once again through you and I. If you're like last week, we talked about David, you know, test my thoughts, my anxious thoughts, test my heart, see if there's any offensive way in me. If you're hearing this in the morning and you're really starting to analyze your life and be like, man, I know I say I'm something and I think I'm something, but behind closed doors, Behind closed doors, when it's me and my family and Jesus, who am I really? Who am I trying to fool? Today is a day of renewal. Even if it's just a part of your life. Even if you're 99% surrendered to Jesus. And if you are, you need to tell me how to do that because I, I haven't even reached 99% yet. <laughs> All of us have a part of our lives that has not been fully crucified and raised again by his power, right? All we've got to do is surrender it to him. Just like planting that seed in the soil, all you got to do is die to self, ask Jesus to forgive you for that lack of integrity, for that sin in your life where you're missing it, and then surrender it to him. Surrender it to him. Stop trying to fight a fight. Stop trying to do something you can't do on your own. Stop trying to be something you can't be. Surrender it to him. And then he, he can do something beautiful and awesome and powerful through it. Nate, could you go get mom? Could you go get mom? It's time for the logos, the written word, to once again become the rhema, the spoken word. The logos in our lives becomes the rhema through our lives. As our lives proclaim his truth. How awesome is that? How exciting is that to think about? That this word that, that God spoke to Ezekiel, that God spoke to Daniel, that God spoke to Moses, to, to, to Peter, to James. That this word, hundreds and thousands of years later, can come alive inside of me. That once again, the Logos can become rhema, proclaiming God's truth through our lives. We have that opportunity. That miracle can take place. That the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our transformed lives become banners and billboards, signs and wonders that point people to Him. 
Because they're wondering, that ain't the Steve I know. <laughs> that, that has to be God. That can't be him, right? It's time for our lives to become letters to those around us. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 3. That, that, that we become letters, billboards, just proclaiming to people, written not with ink and pen and paper and printers, but written with the spirit of the living God. Written not on tablets of paper or cardboard or, or, or cement, but written on the flesh of our hearts. Written on the flesh of our hearts, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Once again, if the worship team can come forward. And, whew, what can we do but respond once again with, with thanks, with gratitude? Because there's nothing we can do to make this happen, but to surrender to him. Surrender to him. That's our part entirely. Our part is a part of surrender. <laughs>